Welcome to Let's Talk Product, a podcast by Propeller about building software products and companies. I'm your host, Lean Ashkar, and on this show, we explore what it takes to build global tech products. We cover everything from user experience to customer obsession, product strategy to scaling software. If you're a MENA-based startup looking for an early stage investor, get in touch. We'd love to talk. Today, we've got with us Yusuf Wadi, a computer engineer by background, who's been building online products for well over 10 years. He's worked in product at Microsoft, Yahoo, Arabia Weather, and is now the co-founder and CEO of Nestrom. On the episode, we talk about his early pivot at Nestrom and what it's like to build products for enterprise customers in the Middle East. We discuss personas, UX, pricing, sales, and more. Yusuf, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here today. Um, since you've been one of Jordan's first builders involved in quite a few products. Um, so I'm sure there's a ton of learnings for our listeners today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. How about we start off with just a bit of background on your career? Yeah, definitely. So I started my life with enterprise companies, used to work for Microsoft, Nokia, Yahoo. Um, before then, um, I ca- caught the startup bug where it happened at the late stages of Yahoo, and, and then we, I, I co-founded Arabia Weather, um, then also was a founding partner for Bilforon, which were b- both B2C companies and then moved into Nestrum, as well as one very early company that we started off when we were quite young. We received investments from Bill Gates back then, and unfortunately, that company did not, did not see the day of light. Um, it was a hardware company, and we've seen hardware changed so fast in the in those three years when we were developing that it wasn't irrelevant it was it, it became irrelevant after um basically the second year when we were in development mm. and and can you tell us a bit about nestrum what what is nestrum today yeah so nestrum is a qhse platform qhse stands for quality health safety and environment and we help companies and enterprise companies especially the departments of quality and hse security safety and so on to be able to um capture data action data properly, and then report and analyze. And this is basic a basic ISO um, requirement. So basically capturing, actioning, and then reporting. Okay, amazing. So since you've done both B2B and B2C, in your experience, what would you say is like the biggest difference when it comes to building products? Well, the whole thing is different. You know, you would think it's the same. The only thing that's similar is basically writing the code. It's... Um, <laughs> It's kind of interesting to see like the whole thought process of how you do B2C versus B2B is completely different. So in B2C, we normally come up with, you know, um, uh, personas, um, imaginary personas, the ones that we want to target out there. And then we would start developing the whole story on top of that until we have the product. Whereas in B2B, you definitely need to know which department you're targeting and, and what problem in that department are you targeting? And then is this problem a headache or is it a painkiller or a vitamin? So when you look at B2C, um, Instagram is neither a painkiller nor it's a vitamin. So mm-hmm. it's just something that you can enjoy. It's entertainment. Whereas in B2B, there is no entertainment. It's there, there's very little, you know, solutions that you'll be there for entertainment in B2B. But yet again, so B2B is highly functional. And that's why, you know, the simplest example, the way to think of it is look at how nice Instagram looks like, but look at how Oracle and how ugly it is when, when you have it um, in deployment. But this is functionality. This is, you know, this is entertainment. And yet again, the simplest, um, you know, metaphor we have for this is a Mercedes Benz versus, you know, a Caterpillar that goes out there and, you know, digs dirt. And that's the B2B product. Mm-hmm. There has to be a, 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 an end business objective. 
Exactly. It's a functional machine that's coming in for a certain purpose. And no, you know, it could literally be the, the, the simplest solution that removes a big headache. Um, and, 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 you know, features are not important. You know, graphics and design is secondary. User experience is important where, you know, you know, design and graphics is not much. And then you have functionality all the way down to the core. And then eventually, um, what kind of value and an ROI is, is, is something here. Yeah. And a BTC, you don't, you know, there is no, like, there is ROI in some BTC solutions, but I mean, it is, it's, it's a different ball game. You're talking about, you know, sometimes 10, 5X, 10X, 13X of ROI. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that point on in B2B, you tend to have multiple users or multiple personas. You've got the buyer persona, the end user persona, and, yep. and you have to find a way of like working with all. It's not only working with all, it's kind of a tricky one. So you have to think of it this way. You're dealing with employees in a company and normally the technical buyer. So in our case, it's the quality assurance director or the head of HSE or security, um, they probably buy in, at least in Nestrom, they buy into the solution fast. Um, they understand the value. They know it's ISO, it's ISO or GMP or whatever certified that makes sense to their department. And they just, you know, they're in. Then the, the games start. You get the procurement department that has their own methodology of procuring software. And then they have the way of audit. They, you, they need to follow it because they're going to get audited. And mm-hmm. then you have, you know, the managing director that's look, overlooking something. And then you have the CFO that has the budgets at hand and they don't know what the budgets are. So w- w- one of the learnings that we kept on, you know, pushing towards is how do we flatline the discussions with four at once so that we can close the deal faster so we don't have to go into a step case by case. So we could be talking with the CFO at the same time with a technical buyer and get things out of the way. Okay, interesting. Nice. I'd like to go back to the early days of Nestrom. Yeah. So initially it was agri-tech yep. or farms, yep. which is quite different from what you're doing today. So that was some sort of a big pivot. Why did that happen? What prompted you to like shift course? Sure. So in agtech, we were doing the same. So we were doing capture, action, and report, but it mm-hmm. was for highly specific for agriculture. So we're helping them capture findings, quality, specifically on quality. It's, it's basically the same concept. So we do still have agricultural customers, but the pivot was, do we pivot the product or we pivot the market? So in B2B, when you're doing pivots, there's two pivots. You have a product and it's not working in a certain you know vertical, you can pivot to another vertical and keep the product and quietly, slightly tweak it. Whereas in, 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 um, in the other pivot, which is basically saying that the product's not working, but the market is something that I want to go after. So let's assume an ag tech. So we're dealing with that. We decided, you know, we're going to stay on ag tech, but we're going to go after a fintech solution for agriculture. The, the, the pivot that we went after was um, keeping the product, slight changes to it, and then focusing on different verticals. And the reason we did that was, one, the ISO standards are very similar across different, you know, ISO 9001, for example, which is quality. It's the same standard across oil and gas all the way down to agriculture. It's the same mentality of a workflow and business process. So it came to us is that, okay, the market of agriculture was a nightmare. The agricultural market is a highly fluctuant market that is highly subsidized by governments. You don't know Mm -hmm. who the buyers are. You don't know who the technical buyer is. You cannot identify the right person. You don't know who's going to pay you at the end of the day. Um, There is also the tech is kind of like software is already high over what Ag- agricultural companies are aware of. So that, there's a learning curve there as well. So the whole market seemed, you know, not mature yet for c- 
cutting edge technology unless you're dealing with the big, big players in the world. And we've tried that. We've had discussions with some of the top leading agricultural companies in the world. And these deals would take anywhere between a year and a year and a half if you come to terms. And they would expect you to, you know, you know, like pilots that might cost half a million and and so on. So one of the examples we have is like they were asking for a pilot that we would pay for until proven that it works in Kenya. So that would be extremely expensive to get up and running. And then that was the decision when it was actually me driving back from a farm, calling one of our co-founders and telling him, because the guy wants to buy it. The agricultural company wants to buy it. And now he says, you know what? Let's put it out there and see who's going to pay for it. I mean, he was looking for some sort of subsidization. And on the way back, I just called one of our partners. You know what? We're pivoting tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah, we're done. And that's when that's when we decided, you know, like the first thing we looked into was construction. Okay. Um, and then we've we've decided, you know, when we were in TechStars, we've done like we call them the the one month micro pivots of like fifteen pivots in a in a month. Um, we were de- we were meeting companies, we were talking to people, and then we identified. I think one of the best things that happened to us is that we met one of these companies that actually certify for ISO, and. We came to that conclusion as like, wait, why are we focusing on verticals when all of these verticals focus on the ISO? And they're all like, you can actually see someone in quality assurance that moves from a pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing plant all the way down to, you know, meat or actually construction, or we've seen those people. So it's the same, it's the same processes, different operations. And that's where we had to tweak our product is basically saying, just make it more dynamic so that it could take you know, the data, manage data from different verticals, and that's about it. Mm, so you ended up focusing on a function um, across the yeah. verticals, QXSE, exactly. which applies to, can you give us some examples of the target, the verticals that you target? So we target um, construction. Again, in construction, we target the quality assurance director or quality control director or the HSE, health, safety, and environment. And mm-hmm. when in, in manufacturing, so we have food manufacturing. We are also a partner company with a company called Cygenic that we deal with um, pharmaceutical and life sciences generally. Um, we also work in the QHSE department as well. Um, mm-hmm. So every oil and gas energy, it's the same thing. We're just focused on the function of QHSE. So think of it this way. So it's like um, a project management tool let's say ClickUp, for example or similar Um, it's not for a vertical but it's for a function project managers perfect super clear so while serving like you have quite a variety of customers at this point and this is something that all startups face it's the feature requests and the feedback that you get from prospects and also customers that can pull you in multiple directions yeah Yeah. Um, have you faced that issue and how did you grow to filter between you know signal and noise so one thing that we learned over the years is signal and noise. So if you're getting noise, you're not focused on a function or you're not focused on a vertical. So in other words, let me just put it this way. So think of it this way. If you have, uh, in our case, I'll, I'll give you an example on our case that would just makes it a lot easier. If we're getting requests that features that are kind of conflicting within our customers, that's, that means we're not serving that right function. So mm-hmm. because we do QHSE and we also have O&M, operations and maintenance, because they're highly coupled. You know, when you say we capture data and then we action data, action is sometimes maintenance. So if you start getting features outside of that functionality, then most likely you're not within the right scope of where you're delivering. And we've been in that place multiple times. So there's certain companies or verticals that we you know try to penetrate um, back when we were in Techstars again, we were looking at getting into them, and then we noticed, oh wait, there's like a 
uh, a big chunk of features that you know it's not ours it's not ours yeah. we, we, we're not going to go into it and if you size the market properly and you understand which verticals you're going after you would understand which features are there and you will not be worried about you know um what happened to us in agriculture so if your agriculture market collapses in front of your face which actually happened agriculture was going bad in jordan and egypt at that time Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry because now you have other verticals you can look into. And then you can start thinking, you know, easily, smoothly and say, yeah, well, energy today is slow. Let's go for food manufacturers. Food manufacturers are slow. Let's go after construction. And it's the same functionality across different ones. Now, what's interesting is the there's also the, the technology part. You need to be very smart about te- technology. You have to build it in a way where... The technology needs to have some wiggle space, as in the features should be capable of dealing with certain types of let's let, let's put it in a simpler way. We all know that Oracle is a database like and forms like system, and you can configure what kind of data you want to capture on forms and so on. So when you think of it this way, Oracle specifically is ugly as hell, functional, but again, it's highly um it's highly bendable let's say you can actually it's malleable you can change the way it functions slightly to do an erp to build an erp at the end of the day we have the same flexibility so we have this malleable system that also allows to generate the requirements for qhse and onm whereas oracle has it for erp and crm okay amazing and moving on to your product vision so that's basically informed by what um, is it purely driven by the feedback that you receive from customers? How much of it is also like what you initially had in mind? So one thing that founders need to think about B2B, so we do go crazy with, especially tech founders, we go crazy mm-hmm. with technology. We're ahead of the game with technology. We know where we can, what we can build. But you need to understand that businesses kind of don't change that fast, especially let's, let's take example, manufacturing. Manufacturing will not change that fast. Um, just as simple, like look at QHSE again, or quality assurance specifically to actually change something, they need to go through a whole change control process internally in the factory. And that change control could go up to a year and a year and a half to actually implement the change control. So you can't just come in there and just bring this high future tech, (coughs) sorry, high future future tech solution and just put it in there and say, here it is. Um, Oh, it's going to, it's going to work for you. They're going to, they're going to freak out. So the, there's a clear, there has to be a clear separation in the founder's head between vision and pipeline or feature pipeline. And of course, you build feature pipeline based on the customers. The customers' vision are very limited. They just want a solution for QA, QC, HSE, O&M. Whereas when you look at vision is capture, when I started you know, talking to you, I said capture, action, and report. And capture does not have to be bound. So it could be IoT sensors, it could be mobile forms, it could be GPS trackers, it could be any kind of data that could be captured. Right now we're doing digital forms, we're doing um, slight IoT, but down the road, the vision is is to go into heavy IoT, machine learning over imagery, and Mm -hmm. be able to capture smart things. But until your customer knows how to utilize a software for QHSE rather than the papers he has at hand, it just doesn't make sense to give him sensors. 100%. This is kind of like your 10-year goal but also making sure that you're moving with the market you know when the market is ready you start introducing these new products and and sometimes it doesn't have to be ready markets but as well as something that we we might get into is also customers trust so the second the customer trusts you that your system works then he's willing to experiment he would Mm -hmm. go into you know like oh you can put sensors let's let's give it a shot yeah 
Amazing. So one thing that I come across a lot is, you know, many founders tend to be super cautious about approaching enterprises, customers of your size, you know, large manufacturing construction companies with like a half ready MVP. But as Reid Hoffman says, if you're embarrassed by, you know, the first version of your product, then you've probably launched too late. So what do you think of this and when and how did you approach your customers? So I kind of disagree to the fact that you could not have an MVP that's very early stage with the customers. You, you can. Um, in hindsight, looking at how Nostrum, you know, started, like the way it looked like and where it is right now, it's a, right now it's a huge solution. We, like with not our terms, but uh, not our words, but our customers literally use the terms saying that your system is as big as Oracle at this point. But we didn't just build it as Oracle. We started with a very simple, you know, forms capturing, ticketing for actioning, and, you know, a couple of charts for reporting. And then mm -hmm. the customer goes like, well, okay, perfect. You solved this problem. Now we have the data is captured. The reports are, you know, need, we need to work on them. And then you have the, um, the actioning. Well, the ticketing is nice, but what if we do recurring tickets? What if we do, you know, scheduled within certain types of, uh, what if we do different um, types and ownership and roles and so on? And then we started to expand on those. And then, you know, eventually these three will branch out into, into different um, and bigger solutions of their own. So MVPs are, to be, you need to know what the cornerstone of your product is going to solve in that company. And then yeah. that would become your MVP. Yeah. And where are your first pool of customers? Were they paying for that MVP? So we, we always had paying customers from day one. It's a point that we have, and, and we'll discuss this probably. And and the, and and the prices went up. So we mm -hmm. just started with very low price, and then we went up with prices as we went. And the reason we believe that you should be paying, you, the customers should be paying, is if you give them something for free, it's going to go on the shelves. It's never going to be yeah. used. It's never going to be evaluated properly, and probably you're not solving a, a problem because if he's not willing to play, pay for it, then you're probably not solving a problem. He's just going to go, yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a try. 100%. On that point, um, have you given free trials? So how do you do that? Is there, do you believe in pilots, free trials? Are they timed? Is it a freemium model? Um, what are your thoughts around that? So we don't have freemium. We At Nestrom, we don't have free pilots. We do customize demos for customers where we do presentations with custom demos of, to show them how the system might help them. Now, this comes, but I need to be very clear. So at Nestrom, it's a different solution than, than other B2B solutions. Some B2B solutions, you can definitely have trial periods, like a week or two weeks. We've done very rare trial periods unless the system requires, you know, like very simplistic onboarding, then it's fine. In our case, we don't do that because onboarding a company is not a simple solution to, to them, not to us. There's a lot of change control. There's a lot of change management going on. So trying to give them a free trial that is not going to work is neither beneficial for them or us because they will not evaluate us properly and they will not be able to do any change management and change controls in their company to actually implement this kind of solution. But in general speaking, um, it really comes down to what kind of solution you have. But again, in our case, like we we deal with five with five digits plus deals um, with customers, and 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 when it comes to five digits, you you're not you, there's a you're not a what what they call is a zero touch solution. So a good example would be um, our friends the the POS Rocket as an example. They're they're B two B, 
but they're dealing with SME restaurants specifically. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're kind of zero touch because they onboard themselves, they utilize the system by themselves as customers, and it makes total sense. And then the price would actually go go lower. In our case, we 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 consider ourselves high touch. And when we say we're high touch, that means tickets will go high. We have dedicated resources. We'll help you out, you know, to get to your goal, and we make sure you reap the value. So this comes with its own 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 cost and 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 implementation cost, let's say, or you know, solution delivery cost. But again, it really comes down to who who are you targeting and, and how you're targeting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Because um, yeah, with free trials, usually you want to make sure that period of time is sufficient for the customer to see the ROI that we mentioned. And when cycles tend to, you know, when va- delivering value needs to happen over multiple cycle- cycles, then it might not make sense. You know, timelines might not align. That's that's also very true. That's very true as well. And and um, and change management is one thing that the person that's selling them needs to know. So if I'm going to come in and it's going to be a huge change, mm-hmm. then it's going most likely trials will not really help exactly yeah. unless it's like a six-month trial which just does not make sense it doesn't it doesn't work anymore and and to them it's going to be scary because i can pull the plug anytime it's a it's a trial they won't they won't trust us exactly so moving on to pricing um you briefly mentioned how we started off with you know lower price move that up what did you end up settling on i know this is you know quite quite a tough thing to figure out in b2b enterprise so yeah one of the toughest things so we started off by shooting in the dark. So, so just not to give it away for free with our first customers, we just charge them whatever they can. And we kept on pushing until they started going like, this is a bit too much, you know? That's the point where you know the customer is willing to pay and he needs the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you start comparing similar products, you know, similar enterprise solutions, and then you would start building on top of it. And then you start now getting your own metrics. And then you get your own metrics. You start now figuring out your, you know, your, um, your, how your financials look like and, and how you're, how you're going to deal with the micromanaging the, the, the figures and, you know, what's your margins and, and, and how are you going to deal with margins and what's, why is it so expensive and, and why is our margin so low? You start figuring it out over time, and then and that also starts to dictate the way you deliver and also develop the product. Because at the end of the day, if if your margins are very low, that means you're putting a lot of effort to get your customer on board, and you're not getting enough money. So you're doing something wrong with delivery and and product itself. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're doing um, if you're doing a high margin for yourself and then you're you're in a good place because now you know that your product is is reaping the benefits of you know getting it doesn't matter the size of the ticket i i really think it really does with the with the margin so even if you're selling your solution for $50 a month if your margin is if you're making $40 out of the 50 um then you're in a really good place because now it's about scaling it and getting a lot more money whereas in our case when you have five figure deals coming in and you know you look at your margins and you want to make sure they're around 65% plus minus um mm-hmm. that that comes in with you know a bit i don't want to say trial and error it comes with as you accumulate customers it starts to work out because you need to start seeing the metrics coming in and see what kind of operations you need to tweak and then you tweak them as you go mm-hmm. okay so did you end up settling on like a usage based model so we're dealing with where we 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 started we started figuring out different ways and then we were like you know what Let's not make the learning cycle more complex. We just adopted the Oracle methodology. Users, licenses, and you know, 
We don't even bother calling it subscriptions anymore. We're just calling it licenses. You know, that's what's that's the word they understand. So we don't want to end up in a in a learning curve with them. And I don't really mm-hmm. like a simple example. Our customers will never pay on a, a credit card. There's no way they're going to be paying on a credit card. It's not like that B two B SaaS solutions where you can you know just bite yourself and then move on. No, this is going mm-hmm. to go through procurement. It's going to come in through the wire and. Um, yeah. Is it usually a one-year contract? It's annual contracts because both okay. us and the customer want to make sure it's an annual contract because the customer as well, it does not make sense for him to do a full change management for less than a year. Okay. So it's SaaS, but they just don't call it SaaS. Exactly. <laughs> so they, they, don't even, they don't even care. Like, yeah, exactly. and, and, and it makes sense because they just want a solution. They, want a, they, they have a problem, give me a solution. 100%. 100%. Great. So I'd like to move on and talk a bit about you know, sales, the sales process for B2B enterprise, selling into these giants. Um, you have a ton of learnings there, I'm sure. Yeah. So maybe we can start off with um, telling us, like who you mentioned a bit about working with different personas at the same time, but do you prioritize anyone in specific? Who do you approach first? Do you want to like deliver the value to the end user initially to kind of have a champion internally, or do you just go top down? Um, let's get into all of that. So sometimes we deal, so again, because our deals are enterprise deals, we need to first of all identify how the company's set up. Mm-hmm. So the first setup is basically identify the company itself and then figure out how it's set up. And it's easy. It just takes a couple of minutes. Look at LinkedIn. You know, you can figure out how this, you know, the hierarchy looks like inside the company. And then you can decide, you know, what's the best strategy to go after it. Now, normally, or 80% of the time, we believe that you go to um, the technical buyer because that's where the, mm-hmm. the headache is. And you that's the person that knows if we have a solution or not in the company and if we're using one or not, and if it's a, enough problem for us to solve. And he probably knows if I take this to my managing director and tell him I want to implement this, I'm going to get, get shot in the head because there's other priorities or am I going to get you know a listening ear so that we can hear. So we normally go, again, we always focus top bottom because we go to the directors and top and, and, and uh, VPs downwards. And the reason is, is that change management is not something that you know any other person could do in, the, in that organization. So okay. top bottom, we focus on technical buyer first and our technical buyer as a Q, QA or QC system, let's assume we're going after QA and QC features right now and we're not gonna look at HSE or O&M at this point, but we want, and we're, we would talk to the VP of quality. That's our technical buyer. He's the guy that's going to buy the solution for, to solve a technical problem inside of that company. And then you have the, the financial buyer, which is basically the CFO or even the procurement department. That's, that's the, 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 the financial buyers. And then you have the decision maker or you know, the, the, the big guy, the CEO, the, you know, the final call. And each one of them look at different things. And we made sure that we built our slide set where it talks about the technical buyer. It also showcases, you know, the function, the, the, like we actually set, send our pricing right now. We send our pricing up front and center when we send the first pitch. And we also showcase the ROI so that the head of, you know, the, 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 the managing director, the CEO, whoever is, look at it and go like, yep, that's what we're looking at. Nice. So you tailor your pitch according to the needs of each buyer, trying to touch up on what each person is looking for. Even though they're the same slides, but when yeah. you get to a point where you can build, we figured out the way, like it wasn't an easy cycle. It's like not, we figured out how to put the slides in a way where they can be perceived by different people in the way they think. And yeah, just to show them that this is like a must-have product and not just a nice-to-have product. There's clear ROI. And here's another thing. In enterprise businesses, I don't see like you're either nice-to-have or you're, you're a must. 
And there's no, there's no, like we, at this point at Nestrum, it's either we want the solution, we don't have a budget, or we want the solution. There is no nice to have in B2B. That's what we were it's, saying. Exactly. If you're yeah. targeting something that's critical inside of that department, then it's done. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's to them, you're speaking their language. They know what we, they know what we're giving them. It's either, yes, I'm going to buy now, or I'm going to buy later because I don't have a budget, or mm-hmm. I have another solution or some other tech solution, you know, that maybe is not as good as you. Like we had that with it had areas once where, you know, it's not as good as we have something. It's not as good as you, but right now we're not going to change it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when it comes to like building out your sales team, what do you look for uh, when hiring sales reps? Do they need to have some sort of a background in QHSE or technical, some technical know-how to be able to sell a product like yours? So to, to get to, for sales reps, so we have multiple steps inside of the sales process. The first one is identifying the right people and contacting the right people. And we normally deal with, you know, whoever is going to do the outreach because most of our like hands on um, or, you know, like unlike zero touch, like full touch solutions where our salespeople will be talking there. They should be able to talk their language. Now, the first step is basically understanding the language. And luckily, it's not a complex thing for a new salesperson to understand, especially if they understand how the capture and action works. You don't even, they don't even need to know the exact feature functionality at this point. You know, they, just need to, they just need to be capable of telling them, we help you capture the data, we help you actioning them, we, have, we help you report them, and then this is how the ROI is going to look like, and the solution is highly malleable, and, and so on. And if they're interested, then we take them to the next stage in the sales cycle where they go into a real life demo and then they would understand the features, the functionality of that system where, you know, they would go like, oh yeah, that, that's what we're looking for. Or you know what, it's not what we're looking for. So most of our sales people on the front facing part look at hooking the customer in to mm-hmm. see the system in action. Mm-hmm. And then you move that lead down to somebody a bit more technical on the team. It goes down to technical, technical, technical business people. So in our case, for example, Kanan leads those people, and they would start, you know, explain. They would listen to their requirements, showcase demos that talk to their requirements, and so on, so that you can give them a more better feel for a use case that they have. Nice, clear. I'd like to go back a bit and talk about user experience. So you're building a product that. I guess usage is super high with Nestrom, right? It's tickets like 24-7. We have millions of records, exactly. So like we have one customer that generates around half a million rep, like captured points and actions a month. That's just one customer, yeah. So user experience must be super important, right? It should be simplistic as possible. Now, here's why we're dealing with this. We deal with a full chain of, you know, from the top of QA, which is, you know, normally looking at reporting, down to the mid of the chain, which is, you know, inspectors and quality assurance personnel on ground, which are, you know, that which are, you know, kind of technical, kind of technical in a way. And then you have some people that you're just executing or, or just reporting findings. And, the, and these people are normally... Um, the ones that generate most of the information that needs to t- you have decisions to be taken on. Now, the, the trick here is in different verticals, there's different education cycle, it, 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 different educational levels on that hierarchy. So mm-hmm. you would actually like construction, agriculture, when you get to the point of execution, you know, you know, education levels and um, understanding for technologies is, is very different when dealing with the VP that's looking at, you know, BI charts, business intelligence charts. So 
what we've done is we built the user experience based on you know simplicity, especially as you go down the chain. So if you go all the way to the bottom of the chain where you're saying we're capturing information and we're executing information. So when we deal with digital forms, for example, we wanted to make it as a point that we're going to remove papers from your hands, but we're going to give you a tablet that just looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you go up the chain, it's fine. You can now show them, you know, complex charts and they'll be fine with it. That's super interesting because, yeah, going back to the idea of personas, different different people, different needs, different, you know, uh, different values that they're looking exactly. for. And, yeah, amazing. This has been great, Yusuf. But before we wrap this up, I would love to hear from you if you have any final pieces of advice that you would like to share with any founders building for the B2B space. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I really think is critical for B2B founders is the hardest part for you is the beginning part in building um, trust with your customers and credibility. Custom, like if you're dealing, if you're going to, if you have these dreams of, you know, I'm going to build the solution, I'm going to sell it tomorrow for, you know, I don't know, let's, let's take an example, Honeywell or, you know, Schneider Electric or whoever. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just, you know, you're, you're, you're probably not because Credibility is critical. And they're going to start going like, well, have you implemented this? We're not going to try this. I'm not going to go through change management for you. This is huge departments and a huge amount of people. So building credibility is literally like going up the stairs. And we started off with smaller customers. One of the first customer was actually serving Starbucks. Um, and then you go up the chain slowly. And then suddenly you find yourself dealing with al and fine and then the next day you're talking to global huge brands and then you go up that chain and because everyone starts going like well can i ask the one before me and you go like yeah. if, if your customer satisfaction is there then they'll go like yeah 100 you can go ahead and call and then credibility starts building up right now we have as we speak we have we're closing a deal with one of the biggest manufacturers of food in saudi arabia and they literally called one of our food manufacturing friends here in, in jordan and they wanted to see how the system helped them out and what the ROI is. And think of it this way. It's like a chicken egg situation, but you have to start small somewhere and then go for the this next bigger one that the small one could influence the bigger one and, and continue going up. We have discussions now with some global companies like Schneider Electric, which you know it's going to take forever to, to close. But the good part is, is that we do have you know, the, the credibility and the, and, and the bullets to say, yeah, we can deliver this. Definitely. And I love how they're all like listed on your website because you also want to show that to your customer from, you want to build that first impression. Of course. So we, we don't even like, we like, thank God today, our churn rate is zero. We, we are more than happy with our customers, you know, just pick one of these logos and we'll connect you with them. No questions asked. If they're willing to talk to you, we'll get them, we'll get them on the phone. We actually had some new customers. So we have Orange as an example. They visited one of our customers at the site to see the system, you know, mm-hmm. hands-on. Okay. And it was interesting because, you, you know, your customer is not willing to go out of his way and help you out unless they really, really gain the value. Definitely. Well, it looks like this was well worth your pivot. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it changed everything. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. At least now we have cycles. Like before it was mostly, you know, trying to figure out who's who. And now it's that we have clarity at least. Yeah, well, discovery obviously takes a long time. And especially in B2B, because their cycles are so long, you end up falling. You know, everything's feedback cycles tend to be longer. And there are ways... 
and there are ways to compress these cycles yeah. and there's also like unfortunately with the covid you know the, this covid era cycles just went out of proportion because now people are getting fired and then we had people you know changing budgets and so and so the cycles got trickier but again we've we've came to certain solutions like compact your slides put everything in there shoot them at once if they come back to you they're most likely interested great Thank you, Yusuf. This was thank this you. was incredible. Thank you, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. All right, amazing. All right, thank Have a great you. day. Thank you. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye.